I really want to thank our worship music uh, ministry for leading us this morning and uh, just guiding our thoughts to God. Amen. Uh, it's great to be together this morning. We are going to dive into the book of Deuteronomy uh, this this week. Uh, next week uh, is Easter Sunday, and it'll be our last time in Deuteronomy, our last sermon for the for the for this whole series next Sunday. And so I want to encourage you <clears throat> to bring your friends next Sunday. We're going to have a great celebration. We're going to have different people sharing uh, their stories and some great music and Easter egg hunt afterwards for the kids. Um, just, and we're going to have flyers today. Uh, so you can invite friends and neighbors, family members. I want to encourage you. Let's really do, uh, just really work hard to bring people to celebrate Easter with us next Sunday. It's going to be a great time. Let's be praying uh, for that. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm like choking up here. As Dick mentioned, all the a lot of the sisters are gone uh, this weekend for a retreat. I uh, took care of my children. I dressed myself and fed myself. And um, I, now I have to admit, I did have to take a picture this morning and send it to Marina and say, "Hey, did this match?" I don't really know. So anyway, uh, we are uh, as men sometimes just we just we 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 need. Uh, man, we need the sisters uh, in our lives. And so, um, anyway, uh, we had, uh, but I had a great time. It was cool Friday night. I got to spend some time with my son because uh, my daughters were away at their grandparents' homes. And it was just me and Jonathan. And got to go out with him, get some pizza, get some ice cream, uh, and see him run. Like, he's like Dash from Incredibles, you know? Uh, just run, 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 like he doesn't walk, he has to run, and we went to the Seal Beach Pier, and he's like literally like all the way at the end of the pier, and I'm trying to, I'm like walking peacefully, and then I realize, wait a second, he's like weaving between people, I gotta catch up with this guy, and uh, anyways, that was my workout for the for Friday night, was catching Jonathan, but I loved spending time with him, and, and continuing to bond in my relationship with my son, uh, so it's it's just good. Life is good. Uh, grateful to be in God's kingdom. Grateful to have um, the relationships that I have in God's uh, in, in God's family. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today as we dive into the book of Deuteronomy. You know, if you're here for the first time, um, I want to encourage you to catch up with us on our podcast or on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can catch up and kind of see what we've been talking about. But we've decided to dive into the Old Testament, uh, to the book of Deuteronomy, and really gain some themes from the book of Deuteronomy and how does that, and figure out what was happening back then and there and how does that apply to us here and now. Some of the themes that we've talked about is in, Mo, in Moses as he's, as he's speaking to this new generation of Israelites as they're about to enter the promised land. Some of the themes in his messages and his sermons that he's speaking through the book of Deuteronomy are to trust God. To trust God and to obey Him. To love and listen. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to listen to God. That there is great reward in obeying God. That, uh, the other theme, you know, to do certain things, do, do these certain things so that you will not forget where you were. Don't forget where you come from and how God has saved you. Reflect on God's nature by serving Him and caring for what He cares about. And another theme that we're going to be talking about today is generational faith. Passing it on to the next 
generation. Will you pass it on? Moses has a very real example of what this looks like when we look at his relationship with his assistant, his aide named Joshua, son of Nun. Joshua was Moses' assistant and had been with Moses since his youth. He had witnessed the plagues in Egypt, the miracles that Moses performed, the splitting of the Red Sea, the manna from heaven. He had seen it all with his own eyes. Joshua, in one account, was one of the spies that Moses sent into the promised land to check out the land and see how can we, uh, you know, will we be able to conquer this land? And, and, all, and he sent 13 spies and they all came back with a different report except for two of them. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we can take this land. God is with us. Let's go take it. The rest of the guys were like, no, we're too scared. They're too numerous. Those people are too big for us. We will not be able to defeat them. And God gets upset and says, you know what? Forget you guys. You're going to stay in the desert for the next 40 years, except for Joshua and Caleb. They get to see the promised land because they trusted me. They obeyed me. They relied on me and believed in my promises. This is Joshua. By Moses' side, when Moses would enter the tent of meeting to see and to speak with God directly, Joshua would be the first one when Moses would leave to see the radiant face of Moses because he had met with God. Look in your Bibles here in Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible, try to get close to somebody who does and you can read along with us. Numbers chapter 27. In verse 15, Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man whom, in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority, so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar, the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. Verse 22, so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and the whole assembly. And then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. See, Moses knew that he wasn't going to be able to enter the promised land. Greg talked about that last week a little bit. And he knew that the people would need leadership. And he wasn't afraid to let go of his status amongst the people and give it over to Joshua with God's blessing. In Deuteronomy, Moses is retelling this story. He is in chapter 1. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 37, Moses is recounting this story. And he's talking about how he disobeyed God and God 
uh, became angry with him. And it says here in verse 37, it says, Because of you, this is Moses talking to the Israelites, Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, You shall not enter it, it being the promised land. You shall not enter it either, but your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children, who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. This is Moses recounting what God told him directly was going to happen. You guys didn't trust me. You didn't believe. After all I did for you in Egypt, you still didn't believe. So therefore, guess what? The, the kids, the children that you thought were going to be taken captive, they're the ones that are going to get to see the promised land. They're the ones that are going to enter it. Your assistant, Joshua, he's going to lead them, not you. And this generation... Are the, this, this is, this is Moses' audience. So when Moses is saying this, he's talking to these children who have grown up in the desert and are about to take over and possess the land. This man Joshua had been witness to everything Moses had done and gone through and is about to become a leader over about a, over a million Israelites and lead them into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the deserts. How would you feel with that type of responsibility? You've always had Moses as kind of like your cover. He's the one sort of making the decisions. He's the one talking directly to, to God. You're just kind of bringing him bread and water. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Moses says, actually, dude, you're going to lead these guys. And you're going to take them into the promised land. I'm sure Joshua felt a sense of fear, of timidity, insecurity, because he'd always had Moses as his guy. And now it was just going to be him. But that's what God tells him. Encourage him. Encourage him. We get to the end of Moses' life in Deuteronomy chapter 31. In verses 1 through 3 and 6 through 8. It says, Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old. And I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So, so Moses is encouraging this new generation of Israelites as they're about to be led by Joshua into the promised land. And then Moses summoned Joshua. And he said to him in the presence of all Israel, he turns to Joshua. All of Israel is standing there watching this exchange. And Moses tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. For you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give to them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
Moses obeys God's direction to encourage Joshua, to give some courage. He says, Josh, Josh, listen to me, dude. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. God is with you. He won't forsake you. Joshua, you can do this because God is with you. And he encourages Joshua. He helps Joshua to gain that courage and confidence in his new role as leader of Israel. Now, after Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy, it says here in chapter 34, verse 9, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua was filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit of wisdom. The Israelites obeyed him and trusted him because Moses, they had seen Moses lay his hands on them. Moses had publicly given his approval and his confidence in Joshua, and the people responded in kind. Now, Joshua goes on to lead Israel into the promised land. You can see this and read this in the book of Joshua. And in fact, in chapter 1, God himself says these exact words, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, don't be terrified, don't be discouraged. I am with you. God himself speaks to Joshua and says these words. And they go into the promised land and we read about it. And and Joshua not only leads them into the promised land, but he's the one that's in charge of separating and assigning each allotment of land to the different 12 tribes of Israel. Talk about a lot of politics and emotional tension. Well, I want to be by the ocean. No, I want to be by there. No, I want to be in the mountains. No. And Joshua had to navigate all of this and in spirit of wisdom assign each allotment of land to the 12 tribes of Israel. But we see something happen at the end of Joshua's life. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 7, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. In my opinion... This is one of the saddest verses in the whole Old Testament. And one that you and I today can heed and learn from. After a whole generation who had seen the miracles of the Red Sea and the manna from heaven and the, and the wall of Jericho crawling, crumbling down and all, you know, the sun standing still so that they could finish the war and all these things. After that whole generation, who had seen this, passed away. Their kids and their kids' kids grew up knowing knowing nothing about what the Lord had done for Israel. What a great failure for the Israelites. Including Joshua's leadership. 
He failed in, in, this, in this sense. To pass faith on to the next generation. And in this verse, we see the fall of the Israelite nation, honestly. And the cycle that happens when you read the book of Judges and 1 Kings and 2 Kings and Chronicles and Samuel. And when you see what happens in the history of Israel, it happened right here. The cycle. Repent and believe in God. God saves you, saves them. And they disobey. They get comfortable and disobey and start doing being rebellious and stiff-necked. God departs from them. Then they're in tragedy. They say, I need God. They repent. God comes back to save them. Then they disobey again. And they're rebellious and stiff-necked. And God departs from them. And we see this in the Old Testament over and over and over again. God's grace, God's compassion, God's kindness, and the Israelites' consistent disobedience and rebellion and arrogance because they failed to pass on to future generations what they had seen and been a part of. So, what can we learn from this? Here's the thing that I learned from this. As now the church being the people of God, this thought haunts me and scares me as a minister of the Lord. As a church... We are and can be one generation away from being non-existent and irrelevant. When God gathered his disciples in the New Testament and he started the church through the Holy Spirit, he said, this is my vehicle. This is my instrument to proclaim hope to the whole world. And if we don't pass that on to a next generation, to future generations, we will be irrelevant and non-existent and unable to partner with God in his incredible mission to reconcile the world to himself. If we do not heed what God told the Israelites and the pattern of failure of the Israelites, we will have a generation that grows up who knows nothing about the Lord or what he has done. That freaks me out, guys. This will require absolute attention and intentionality. We can never assume that just because our children grow up in our homes, come to church, go into kids' kingdom, that they will attach themselves to the faith. We can't just assume that our students who are converted in the campus ministry or in the teen ministry, just because they're part of that great ministry, will have great faith in the future. We cannot assume that. It will require attention and intentionality to influence and help and minister to next generation. This is why we invest so many resources in our college ministries and in our teen ministries. I've been part of church for a long time. I've been asked, why do we put so much money into these ministries when there's sometimes smaller ministries than our married ministries or our family or our singles ministries? And I tell, I say it all the time because if we don't pay attention to the next generation, 
We will be a non-existent church. We'll be in the irrelevant church. And we will not be the people that, we will not be what God intended for us to be as a light to the world, a salt of the earth, adding flavor, preserving the world around us. Jesus spent three years training and preparing men, 12 men particularly, for his departure. And then he empowered them to carry his message throughout the world. But if you look at the relationship that Jesus had with his 12 apostles, if you kind of, if you kind of read through it, you'll, you'll realize how many times Jesus kind of got frustrated with these guys. They just weren't getting it. He, in fact, tells them, why are you so dull? Don't you see what I'm doing? He tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. I mean, Jesus was with these guys, training them, walking with them, helping them, uh, doing miracles in front of them, and they still didn't get it. They needed Jesus to actually die and raise from the dead in order for them to understand what their purpose, what Jesus was preparing them for. But once they did, once they got it, they were led by the Holy Spirit to change the known world. That's the book of Acts. All because God empowered them, gave them Jesus as the perfect example to follow, and then trusted them, led by the Spirit, to proclaim the good news of hope through Christ. The church, us, now God's people, being the main instrument and vehicle of hope for this world. In the scripture, Paul, the apostle, he describes the church in two different word pictures, two different images. One is a body. There's a body with many parts, with Christ as the head and the church as the body, and the body is one, but it has many parts. You know, a detached pinky does not survive and needs to be attached to the body. Does that make sense? So the idea being that every part of the body is important and should have equal concern for each other. That's kind of one word picture that Paul uses to describe the church. The other one he uses is a household. A household with the foundation being the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone being Christ Jesus. And who lives in a household? A family. So there's this element of family of the church, that the church should be this caring of one another and helping each other. And in your family, you got cousins and uncles and aunties and grandmas and grandpas and, and little cousins and little nephews and little nieces. You got everything. Brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. This is family, right? This is another word picture that Paul uses. And I want to read a verse here that we've read several times here as a congregation, but I want to continue elevating it as part of why, why we do what we do. And then I'm going to provide a couple of practicals for our generational faith to pass on. Titus chapter 2. Turn your Bibles there. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. Titus is a young evangelist that Paul sends to the island of Crete to go around to the different towns in Crete and appoint elders as well as uh, continuing to strengthen the churches around the island of Crete. And in Titus chapter 2 verse 1. Paul tells the minister, the pastor, the evangelist, he says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older man to be temperate, 
worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith and love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Now, I love what Paul's doing with the minister Titus. He's telling him, here are different segments of the congregation that I want you to be aware of, and I want you to train them. I want you to teach them how they are to live. And he talks about the older people first. Now, Paul doesn't really define older people here, so I'm going to let you guys define it however you want to define it. You may be sitting here like, well, I'm definitely not older. I'm one of the younger. But you know, you're receding in your hairline a little bit. You might be in the older category. I'm not sure. I'm just saying, let's be humble and define older as, you know, I'll let you figure it out. You know what I mean? But he tells the olders. He says, guys, be self-controlled. Be temperate. Be worthy of respect. And so I ask the older men and women in this congregation here, how's your anger? How do you approach conflict? How much do you delve into gossip and slander? Because gossip is like a morsel. Tastes good. Oh, what you talking about? What you talking about? What you talking about? Oh, let me tell you what so-and-so, what she said. How much do you delve into gossip? Does your example and how you live your life, does it malign the word of God? When nobody else is around you and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't watch that. You shouldn't talk to that person that way. What do you do in those moments? If a young man or young woman were around you in your home or at your job, would your example malign the word of God? As an older Christian, somebody who's been in the faith for a long time, you you may be young in age, but you may be in the faith for a long time. We need to show those who are younger brothers and sisters in the faith how to be self-controlled and pure, setting an example in how we treat others, how we handle the affairs of our home and families, how we stand firm in the faith despite life maybe not going the way we wanted it to. Will you complain about your circumstances or will you trust God? Will you grumble and argue or will people around you see, wow, that guy really trusts God? even through unemployment or tragedy or difficulty, pain, health challenges, a child who's walked away from the faith. Whatever the case is, do people around you, will they see faith or will they see complaining and grumbling? A grumpy old man. 
I want to challenge our older brothers and sisters in the church here to aspire to be a Moses to someone. Find a young family who needs encouragement, a teenager or a college student who would benefit from a relationship with you because of your experience in life. And then when you get with them, you do what Moses did with Joshua. You encourage him. You encourage her. Hey, sis, be strong. Be courageous. Don't give up. Stand firm. Don't be afraid. You got this. You can do this. Man, if we had some of our older brethren and our older sisters in the faith, whether it be in faith or whether it be just in, in life experience or whatever, initiate with our younger generation and just say, hey, come over. I want to I bring you over to my house. I'm going to feed you. And I just want to encourage you and say, stand firm in the faith. Go in the way that you're going. Don't give up. Don't go to the left, to the right. Stay the course. Stay righteous. You know, I appreciate so much in my life, over my life as a disciple and, and as a minister in the Lord, that the men that God has sent my way to provide that encouragement, to say, hey, Reuben, you can do this. You got this. Be strong. Stay the course. I'm so thankful a few years ago that Joe Eads told me that. I was discouraged about, I was like, are people even listening to me here? I don't even know. He said, Reuben, just stay the course. I'll never forget that. I get a guy like Nestor Sosa coming up to me almost every Sunday. Reuben, preach, keep on preaching. Keep on preaching. God's word will have an impact. You know how much that means? From brother in that age range, Nestor? I love you, man. <laughs> You know what it means when I have brothers like a Brian Plymel who's been a Christian as long as I've been alive? Come to me and say, hey, Reuben, here's the deal. I got your back. Whatever you need, man, I'm with you heart and soul. You know, as a, as a, as a younger family person and as a younger evangelist in a way, I hear that and it, it provides confidence, Right? It provides a, a, a net of, hey, we're, we're with you, man. When I have a, a, a brother like Dick G say, hey, you guys need to go, you and Marina need to go spend time together and go on more dates. You know that, what that does to me? It says, wow, these, th- these brothers care about our family and not just our work and what we're doing in the church. Does that make sense? And I've had several, I mean, there's so many different brothers like that in my life. I have Peter Drosty living down the street from me. He comes over the other day to teach me how to garden my backyard. I'm grateful for that. (laughs) I'm so thankful that God has provided men and women in our lives locally that can provide this kind of encouragement and empowerment for, for me personally. And so I would challenge then your move for the older generation in this crowd. Encourage and empower. Encourage and empower. I appreciate so much uh, in my life uh, Steve Marici, who leads the South Bay Church and, kind of, and he oversees our whole coastal LA region. Every time I call him for advice about something, he says, Ruben, you have a great core group down there. You have a great leadership group. 
I trust that you guys will make some great decisions, and I'll pray for you. And I'm like, that's not what I want to hear. I want to <laughs> give me some advice. And he says, no, 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 I trust you guys. You know what that does? That's empowering, right? What I try to do with the guys that I'm training and discipling, and they, they throw stuff at me, they like, hey, I'm getting advice about this, that, and the other. I, I try to push them, hey, you decide. You, here's what I would do, but this is you decide. You figure it out. And now if it falls flat on your face, that's fine. We'll pick you back up, patch you back up, send you back out again. Empower. A lot of times as older brothers, we can be very um, overwhelming and try to micromanage different people in their settings instead of just, here's some scriptures, here's the Holy Spirit and prayer, here's some ideas from my life experience that may not apply to you, but this is just kind of what I've learned. But I trust that you will make the right decision. Because at the end of the day, people are going to do what they want to do. But will we encourage and empower our next generation? Amen? Now, I'm not done with here. i got to talk about the younger generation here. i got two words for the younger generation. Your move is to be humble and hungry. Be humble and hungry. Paul doesn't describe younger either. But I would just say, if you know someone, if you know someone who's just ahead of you in life, you're kind of in the younger category. Does that make sense? And you can look to them and say, okay, what can I learn? And so I would tell the young parents here, do you know how to parent a toddler? Your first toddler, you know how to parent them? Uh, probably not. You should probably get somebody who's done it before and get some input into your life. Does that make sense? Do you have, have you ever parented a teenager before? I'll tell you, the most humble parents are parents of teenagers. I did youth ministry for many years. And I would tell you, the most humble parent was a parent of a teenager. They would come and say, I, I, in my mid-twenties, these guys in their mid-forties or fifties would come and tell me, I, I don't know what to do with my kid. Tell me. I'm like, I don't even have a kid. I don't even know what to tell you. I'm just saying, being a parent of a teenager is humbling. Who do you have in your life as a parent of a teenager that can help you and equip you and challenge you and encourage you? If you don't know how to parent a teenager because it's your first time, or you don't know how to parent a toddler or a school-age kid because it's your first time, then why do you why do you argue or even disagree with someone ahead of you in life? Be humble. Be humble to the input. And what will happen? You will be blessed. It will go well with you. Students, who are you sitting at the feet of to learn from? Find somebody who's gone before you in life. Someone who has recently graduated and is now in the workplace. or And sit with them and ask them questions. It's amazing to me how arrogant we can be sometimes. Like, like we've done this before. Like we know what's up. And I'm just going to read a blog and I'm going to read this book and I'll, I'm good to go. Let me tell you something, students. Whatever your campus or teen ministry leader or t- campus shepherd minister tells you, just trust them. It will go well with you. I didn't get a lot of amens from the students there. But let me encourage you, trust me. It will go well with you. You may disagree with a little bit of the angle or how they said it or whatever, but, but trust them. They've gone through it. They know what they're talking about. 
I appreciate so much our uh, ministry leadership group here in the greater Long Beach. You know, so we have um, Greg and Don leading our campus ministry and DK and Marissa leading our um, our downtown ministry and overseeing our singles. And then we have Brent and Zyra leading our singles ministry and Clay and Yana leading our team ministry. And, and we met all together last month just to pray and to, and to talk about just work, just being more unified. And so we have our paid staff and our unpaid ministry leaders together and and we're trying to build teamwork. But I love, what I love about each person in that circle is they're just humble. You know how I know God's going to bless th- th- their ministries? Because they ask for help. And they ask for input. And they say, hey, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do here. How do, how, teach me, train me, equip me. Last year when we planted downtown ministry, DK called me like almost every day we were talking on the phone. His first time ever leading a ministry. He's just talking, calling me every day. Listen, I don't know to, I don't know everything about ministry and I don't know, I'm not like the know-it-all person here or anything like that, but I have been doing this for almost 20 years. So I got something. I can give you something. So he called me every day and we talked. Greg calls me two, three times a week and we're talking on the phone. Why? Because these brothers, they're, they're wanting to be equipped. They want training. They want input. Do you think God's going to bless that level of humility? Does the Bible not say God shows grace to the humble, but opposes the proud? One of the biggest reasons why the Holy Spirit led us to, to even choose Brent and Zyra to lead our singles ministry because of their humility, their love for God and their humility. You know why, you know why I think the singles ministry is doing well and it's going to go even better and grow even more and more? It's because Brent and Zyra are humble. And they get input and they call and they seek influence into their lives and I love that about our team. Be humble to input, but be hungry for it too. What can I learn? What can I do? How can I get better? Teach me. Show me. Share with me. You know, I, I want to share this just a little. Can I do a little side note, a little tangent here? Yeah. Then we'll pray for communion. Um, so I've been going, I've gone to several conferences and been in, con, you know, phone calls with different church leaders from around our movement of churches. And it's really interesting to me right now. A lot of churches are looking for campus ministers. Like they need somebody to lead their campus ministries. And we don't have a pool of people to lead campus ministries in our churches because there's a lot of people in the younger generation that don't want to go into full time ministry. Don't have a dream for it. Don't have a passion for it, a vision for it. And I, I want to put this out there. I'm not saying full-time, full-time ministry is not like the spiritual mountaintop here. But the need is there. Not just here, but around the world, around our nation. There are churches looking for campus ministers. And so I want to encourage our young men and women here. Dream a little bit here. Dream that maybe God can equip you and encourage you and, and inspire you to gain a heart to say, I want, I want to do, I want to do ministry. I want to dream to be able to lead ministries around in campuses or singles or, or whatever. And so, and, and, and so I want to encourage you. Okay. We have like in the singles ministry this summer, we're going to do this Haggai, the Haggai project, you know, where we're going to have an internship for singles that can come together and be equipped on, on building the house of the Lord. 
Like, view that as an opportunity, whether the full-time ministry is for you or not, just view that as an opportunity to be equipped so that you can better uh, lead the church forward and build the church. You know, we have our campus students in the L.A. church have an an internship, a student internship this summer. Use that. Look at that opportunity. It's like, okay, I want to be equipped. I want to be trained in how I can be more effective for God. Back in the day, I used to do a teen internship in the summertime. I used to get the teens on Saturday mornings. We're doing first principle studies, how to, how to study the Bible with people, how to plan events. And we had a great time. But teenagers dream. I want us to learn a lesson from the Israelites to not fail to pass on our faith and conviction to the next generation. That the younger generation will be humble and hungry to learn from those ahead of you. And that the older generation would be encouraging and empowering and not get in the way of our next generation. Parents, your main ministry is the next generation in your home. Will you pass it on? Empty nesters, you have some time and experience now, especially if you're retired. Will you pass it on? Mature married couples who've been married, you've been married for three years longer than somebody, you got some you got something to share. Will you pass it on to younger married couples? Singles, will you find younger men and women where you will pass it on? Students, will you find others? And will you pass it on? Can you imagine? Can we put on our imagination caps for a moment here? Can you imagine a church where there is a culture of children becoming disciples? Like it just happens. Like clockwork almost. It just happens. And where men then start becoming qualified to serve as elders in the church. A generation of elders in the church. Now some men may not want to serve in that capacity or whatever, but wow. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a people who are humble to learn from each other and grow to be who God wants us to be as we strive to be lights to the world and salt to the earth? And this happens because of our humility to learn from one another? Can you imagine a next generation taking on the mantle of leadership in the church and taking the church to newer places and greater vision, all because the older generation inspired them and encouraged them and empowered them to take the church to a whole nother level. Can you imagine that? Can you see a spiritual revolution in our cities and communities led by a generation taking a stand for Christ and prioritizing God's priorities over one another relationships, serving the poor and needy, and proclaiming the gospel message around? All because the church decided to invest in passing on the faith to the next generation. Can you see it? Can you see parents being equipped to raise up their children in the Lord? Marriages being restored to one another and then help turning around and helping others in their marriages? Singles taking a stand for righteousness and rich in purpose because of and for Christ? Can you see it? Students inspired and moving in the direction to change others' lives 
Because the church believed in them and didn't get in their way. Can you see it? People being changed because they see young people being humble and learning from those ahead of them in life instead of arguing or expressing their frustration. I can see it. I can imagine it. I want to be a part of it. I want our generation to be a part of it. I want to help our churches to focus on it. God will bless it. Let's follow his spirit as he leads us to pass on our faith to future generations. I'm going to read this one verse and we're going to pray for communion. I want us to think about it and praise God for this verse and wrestle with the question as we take communion. Will I pass it on? Will I encourage and empower? Will I be humble and hungry? Psalm 145 says in verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the righteous, of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. This psalm brings glory to God about how one generation commends his works to the next. Let us learn a lesson from the Israelites. Let us not become a people that does not, that, that where generation grows up and knows nothing about the Lord. That we would be a people that encourages and empowers the next generation and that our next generation would be a people that is humble and hungry to learn and to grow in Christ. Father in heaven, as we take communion this morning, as we take your bread that represents the body of Christ, as I, we, or your Holy Spirit has led us this morning to talk a lot about the body of Christ, Father, the church, I pray as we take the bread that represents the body that we would, we would think about who is somebody that I can encourage and empower. Father, as we take the blood, the, 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 the cup that represents the blood of Christ and the, and the sins that we've been forgiven of, Father, we know that there are men and women in our lives who have been in our lives, who have encouraged us, who have um, even forgiven us at times for the ways that we've acted with them. Father, I pray that we can think about how, who do I need to be humble and hungry with? And Father, whether we're older generation or younger generation, by whatever standards we want to define them by, help us to see at the end of the day, we want to be disciples. We want to be students. And no matter what our age is, we can always learn from one another. Father, help us to learn from the Israelites to not repeat the same mistake, but that we would see not just one generation, but all future generations hear and know what you have done through Christ Jesus. In his name, amen.